the Corinthian church was actually real. Uh, it was full of sinful people. Um, sinful people had been converted. And uh, they still sin. But there's a specific sin here that we're going to look at this morning. Same sin that uh, the church has today, 2,000 years later. It's a problem of quarreling. And it existed back in the New Testament time. Believe it or not, they actually had quarreling back then. And uh, I think as we go through the book of Corinthians, we can identify with almost everything that goes on in that church. That's, that's because uh, uh, the church is not perfect. There are not perfect people in it. And if, uh, if, if it is a perfect church, then uh, we better leave. <laughs> because we're not perfect, right? No such thing. But the reason that man uh, does this, if they have certain problems, certain sins, and this being quarreling, say, man is sinful. Church is made up of that. We battle with our depraved, selfish nature constantly. Individually, we, we do that. We have pride. We have ego. Every one of us has that problem. And until we get out of these bodies, we're going to deal with that. That issue of selfishness and pride. And what? Looking out for number one... Right? We, we do that. Man is naturally inclined to self-will and self-centeredness. Now that's as far as his nature is concerned. We know that we are new creatures in Christ. We're new. Uh, we don't have to follow that route. But we can still tend to be selfish at times. Sometimes we want to have our own way. And then when, when that happens, conflict is going to happen. And, uh, of course, God knew that, and He, uh, all throughout Scripture, He talks about uh, the sin of pride, which is really the, the worst sin because it's about self, where it would be dying to self constantly. When two people, just two people, get together and they want to have their own ways, they are going to eventually quarrel in some manner or form. Sad to say uh, and, and tell you something here, but there's going to be conflicts in the body of Christ. No, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. But that's, uh, you're going to see it. It happens. It'll continue to happen. As a matter of fact, I don't want to break our bubbles that we have, but the church isn't perfect, isn't always the perfect, peaceful place that we'd like it to be. It isn't always that. It should be. Most of the time it is, but it isn't always going to be that way. Uh, it wasn't in Corinth. And uh, many other churches, you can even look in Philippians and find out the same thing. Look out through the New Testament and you'll see that early church that was so wanting to be biblical, still yet they fought that. As long as churches are made up of human beings, and that's what the church is, we will have deficiencies of humanity. It's going to show. As long as Christians behave as fleshly people, then there will be factions. Quarrel, I think, is uh, just a part of life. If you just look at it just in general. If you go back to, uh, all the way back to infants, we learn that those are the most selfish little beings that ever exist. I mean, they want everything their way and they'll start crying about it if they don't get what they want. Their food, their drink, and whatever else, right? The, matter of fact, I think they believe the whole world revolves around them. That's what infants think. And then little children. They don't get their way. Uh, you've seen them in Walmart before. They throw these hissy fits. They get down on the floor and start moving around and, and just causing all sorts of havoc and crying and yelling. They don't get their own way. And then, uh, you know, kids will fight over toys. Just go to a 
little gathering where there's just little kids, right? It won't take long. They'll be fighting over some little toy. And then later on as they grow up, they'll be fighting over a position on a football team or fighting over a position on a cheerleading squad or on and on. Then later on when they get out of college and they go into business, they will have their quarrels. And if they get elected to a school board, they'll have their quarrels there. And uh, then if they get into politics, they'll certainly have their quarrels there. It constantly is uh, around us everywhere that we look at. And then you get you bring it into friends. Friends even fight. And you can take it into the family. Brothers and sisters, they fight, don't they? No? Oh, you be kidding me. The brothers and sisters fight. Oh, yeah, they can do that. How about, how about husband and wife? That, now, that wouldn't happen with Christians, right? No. <laughs> anyway, self-will can always raise its ugly head. And when it does, it causes all sorts of havoc. And I want to tell you, nobody really likes confrontation. There's a few. You know, there's those those bullies. You know, every once in a while you'll run into a bully in school and they love confrontations. They make it happen. Most people generally don't even like that. And they'll go out of their way to avoid it. But eventually... It's going to come to a head and and people will say, okay, I can't escape this any longer. And what happens is the ego and selfish desires come into play, get involved, and the battle begins. The war is on. So so it goes in the the world. Um, It's not consistent with the new natures that we have. Uh, being Christians and not consistent, it's it's contrary to the very thing that our Lord would desire. And we know that he prayed for that there would be unity uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, divisions, when they happen, can be a terrible witness. It uh, causes much damage. There can be backbiting. There can be all sorts of um, bickering uh, amongst people. The father is dishonored. That's what the most is what uh, is the catastrophe. And the son, uh, he's disgraced. Uh, joy is robbed out of the fellowship of the body of Christ. Terrible thing, isn't it? I mean, this is not what God desires, but that's what people battle. So the, the Corinthian church, they needed to be rebuked. They needed to be exhorted because of their selfishness. That's really what their problem really comes down to. And they needed to be restored back to the harmony that they were supposed to have. So that's what Paul is doing here. He's exhorting and he's instructing not only the Corinthians, but I would say all throughout the church history, these are instructions for them all the way up to even today. And I think it can be helpful to us in a, in a preventive way of, of thinking, you know, okay, hey, this happened there. We want to keep this from happening you know, amongst us, right? So as we listen to Paul, as he instructs throughout the rest of the letter, there are a lot of things here that we as individuals and we as a church can uh, learn from as we uh, look at uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians. Okay, since uh, we took about 15 minutes of an introduction, let's read the Scripture. And we're going to be starting at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am a Paul, or I am a Paulus, or I am a Cephas, or I am a Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, uh, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So he's addressing them here. Finally, as he has given an introduction to this letter, and he goes into an exhortation. He says, I plead with you, or I beseech you, I exhort you, and the word there for plead or exhort is para kaleo. Para, parallel, alongside. Kaleo, call. To call alongside. And Paul says, hey, I want to come alongside to help you here. That's, that's what he's saying. I plead with you. I come along with you. Um, and I want to see if we can correct this problem. Uh, the word for Holy Spirit in the book of John is paraclete. Paraclete, the comforter, one who comes alongside to call alongside. Again, that's that's his name. Good to know we have the Holy Spirit coming alongside of us always, right? And he intercedes for us always, like it says in Romans 8. He's always there. Holy Spirit is always there, and uh, we should be filled with him, letting him control us. So he appeals to them and exhorts them that they would be one. And he's appealing to them as brothers here. He says, now I plead with you, brethren, right there in verse 10. I plead with you, brethren, as brothers. He's not coming in there just ripping them apart and calling them names or anything, but they're they're brothers in Christ. So he appeals to them as brothers. That's a pretty good thing to do there. Uh, They should act in harmony as, as brothers. And then he gives you this phrase. And this is the best authority praise or, or uh, phrase that I think anyone would want to hear um, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to quit doing that <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. So his appeal was to them, and if they had any regard at all for the very worthy name by which they were called, they would listen to Paul here. So he uses that name. And we know that when he says name, he's he's talking about the very character of God, the very nature of God, His will. Uh, His name is a name of authority. So Paul is backing this up with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, none better. Uh, if, If there's quarreling, then what's happening to Christ's name? It's being muddied. It's uh, dishonoring His name. And and we belong to Him. Now he says uh, that you all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. So same is a word that pops up here quite a bit. By the way, you saw the name Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember in the first nine verses, or if you look in your scripture there, if you underline them or anything, you'll see Christ Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Christ. Almost every verse, maybe a couple of times in a verse. So he's emphasizing this Christ-centeredness, isn't he? And that's where everything um, comes as far as our our power is concerned. And Paul um, keeps that thought going in that particular verse there. And then by the time he ends this section up, he's going to be talking about preaching Christ. So he gets it always back to to him. Um, 
John Calvin says to be in harmony is the main article of our religion. Uh, on such agreement, the safety of the church rests and is dependent. That's a very important thing is to have harmony in the church because that's where the safety's at. Everything is dependent up, upon that. There has to be unity in the, in the local church. In the name of Christ, it can be done, right? And that's how it's always done. It's because He's the, the one that's there. So we need to agree about the things of God, as He says, that you speak the same thing. That you'd be saying the same thing. Thinking the same way as far as scriptural matters are concerned. That you'd be uh, not divided on that. I think it's confusing to people when they see a church have different beliefs. Uh, you have different people believing different things that are totally contradictory to each other. Wouldn't that be confusing? And we'd be saying different things than what we are supposed to believe. And you know that's why they had confessions in the church. Hey, we believe that uh, Jesus is God, for instance. We believe the, that there's a Trinity. Well, what happened when people say, "Well, that's what the church, the church that I go to, says," but I don't really believe that. You know. Yeah, I'm a member of the church there, but I don't really believe that element. Or I don't really believe that every word in the Bible is the Word of God. That's contradictory, isn't it? And so just in, in any kind of detail, things that are very important, they must be in, in agreement on those. Uh, let's look at a few passages dealing with uh, Paul exhorting others and dealing with this unity. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Oh boy, that's a hard hitter, isn't it? Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Driving together, having one mind, having one spirit, be thinking the same way, going the same route, right? That's so important. And so he says uh, you want to be consistent with the call that you had, that you'd be worthy of this gospel. In uh, Ephesians 4.3, which is the book that we were in on Monday nights, Paul drew a lot of uh, this kind of thought in... Ephesians, especially starting in chapter 4, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity. See, the unity is already there. It's established by Christ. And, and if you're in the body of Christ, you're in there. You are unified together. But what he wants us to do is to maintain that. He's already given it. But we're to keep that up. You know, to, to do maintenance on things is to keep it up. That's the idea there. In Acts 4.32, early in the church, we see what they were doing. It says in 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. One heart, one soul. A key word there, a three-letter word, one. They were one. That's how that church started. The standard was apostolic doctrine, the teaching that came from the apostles. Um, 
Psalm 133.1 Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. Right? You've heard that one. Go to John 17.11 and we get Jesus praying for His own. John 17.11 The great prayer. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father... You notice who he calls his name there? Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me. Why? That they may be one as we are. You know how close the Trinity is together? You cannot separate the Trinity, can you? Perfect unity. Perfect unity. Love that's been amongst that triune God. And here he prays that his disciples, and then later on, all throughout church history, all the way up to us, that we would be one, just like the Trinity is. Wow! That's quite a prayer. Holy Spirit is praying for us that we would do that too. Go to verse 21 and 21 through 23. Same chapter there that they all may be one as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that You sent Me. Such unity that the world would see that unity and they'd be drawn to Christ. And the glory which You gave Me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That they would see our love for each other. That sounds like a scripture too, right? So it's really important to have that. Above all, though, there has to be this doctrinal unity. That, that is what holds it together. We're not to have a smorgasbord of beliefs. You can pick out whatever belief you want in this same body and have different uh, doctrinal beliefs. There must be a, an agreement on the Word of God and the will of God. Now we'll go back to the Corinthians and uh, we'll find out another phrase here. We speak the same thing that there be no divisions among you. The word for divisions is schismata in, in the Greek there. And guess what? Our English word schism comes from there. Have you ever noticed the Greek words are so close to our English words? We've drawn a lot of words out of, in our English language right out of that. But uh, it, it means a division of judgment. It's a dissension. It's a difference of opinion. Different things going on there. Um, Go to John 7.43 and we'll see how that word was used whenever Jesus was walking around all over Galilee. People had all sorts of different kind of thoughts of who He was. And he asked uh, many times, who do you say that I am? And of course, some of the people in the crowd were saying, this is the prophet. And others were saying, this is the Christ. And of course, a lot of the other prophets, whether it be Jeremiah or whatever, And in verse 42, it says, Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division. There's that word schism. There was a division, a schism among the people because of Him. 
Can you imagine that? Christ causes division? Why? You'd think He would be the last one that would cause division. But He certainly causes division. He causes division in this world. When you say you're a Christian and you believe what Jesus said, that there's only one way, and He said it's very narrow, and He will not accept other religions, that creates a lot of problem with the rest of the world, doesn't it? And that, that is why we, you know, there are many divisions in the world. Uh, there's divisions of saying what uh, the true religion is or what Christianity is. Uh, because of that, some of them wanted to take him. Take him home, feed him. They wanted to take him and kill him, but no one laid hands on him at that time. But he made people very angry and mad for the truth that he stated. And that was what was going on there. Um, then he says that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. And the same mind, the same judgment. Perfectly joined together. The word is kartartizo, and it be it's like mending nets. It's bringing something back together. They would use that word, uh, fishermen would, for uh, the broken nets that they have. They would mend them back. They didn't have a lot of money to go out buying nets all the time, so they'd have to fix them. It means, uh, it, it's like a leg. Setting a leg back up uh, straight in the way that it uh, was before. To make one again that was broken or to make it again that was separated. And so that's what he's saying here. But that you be perfectly joined together. That you be cartertidzoed to be brought back together. And it's to be done of the same mind, the same judgment. That's internally and externally. So there'd be one in beliefs. There'd be one in standards. They would be one in attitudes. There'd be one in principles. That is unity, isn't it? We know throughout the whole body of Christ today, there are all sorts of different beliefs. I'm not just talking denominational beliefs. I'm I'm talking about just crazy stuff that goes off the board that isn't even in Scripture. It contradicts it. We could go on and on about that. And we know all about the false teaching and uh, stuff that's just nuts out there. But... um, we we have to at least be in agreement on the you know those basic elements that there are no disagreements at all shouldn't be so unity doesn't mean giving up uh, your thinking of the like let's say okay it's going to be peace at all cost no matter what well, we want peace and we strive for peace but it isn't always going to be there you do what you can to to bring that but you don't give up what you know is truth just so you can have peace. Truth is very important. So we're to mold our Christian thinking within the mind of Christ because you remember even He Himself caused divisions. Even amongst family members, He caused that. You think of Matthew 10. Same doctrine, same standards, same kind of lifestyle in general You know, would be in agreement with. Um, They're to reconcile those differences. I think of Philippians 2. Two and three, probably the uh, the epitome of oneness and or humility uh, is found in Philippians two, and that's Christ. He's the example of unity through humility. And just before that, he sets up um, that thought in verse two: "Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, thinking the same, having the same love." being of one accord, of one mind. 
Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That's incredible. Paul says, esteem others better than yourself. Treat them as more important. And it doesn't matter who they are. Treat them as they would be more important. Watch out for yourself. You still have to do those things. But he says, you know, and he's saying that in verse 4, look out not only for your own interest. That definitely is implying and more than implying that you have to watch out for your own interest, but make sure that you watch out for others too, for their best interest, for their good. So Paul uh, was bringing that forth. In chapter 3 in Philippians 15 and 16, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, have this kind of thinking. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. You have the same standard. You have the same Word of God. You walk by that in the same way. So, uh, that is uh, definitely different than what we would uh, be thinking of today in a world that says you can believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and we're all in this together and we're all going to go to nirvana or heaven or whatever we want to call it. (laughs) Right? And Scripture here is just black and white uh, in that so much. So there's the exhortation as we go back to our Corinthians now. And now we look at verse 11 and 12. It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm a Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or I'm Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or are you baptized in the name of Paul? So here's the factions. We get into the, what um, the problem was. Now, you know, you can see this and you can think of denominationalism. And I'm not really to, here to harp on that. I, I think there, it's too bad that there are so many different denominations. But in some ways, God has used that for the good. And each denomination has been able to do different things. Some of them send out missionaries. Others send out um, people to, you know, for the community and such. They have certain things that they push and God uses that. Still yet, we know it still came out of a, a disunity and maybe a, not so much a harmony. But you can see how even that in itself, God can say, okay. But this was even worse than denominationalism, even though it is. People were saying, I'm, I'm over a Paul over here and this had this group and they were following this guy. And um, the emphasis here, I, I think we can say, is that it's worse than just being in a denomination. Um, there was strife. And it was contentious strife. It was a selfish wrangling that they had. It was uh, individual problems. A blight on Christianity. If um, we're to look in Proverbs 13.10, draw from the great wisdom book itself, right? By cr- pride comes nothing but strife. By pride. That's how strife comes in. It's, it's pride. It's focused on self. And that's where it all starts. In, in James 4, you know, you'll probably remember that where, he's, where they were quarreling there. Where does that come from? Warring in their members. And it was, it was all the, the pride thing as it really comes down to. They had a party spirit. You've heard about, about that, right? A, 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 they were belonging to different parties there. Um, 
different groups. There are some great teachers in this list. You have Paul. You have Apollos. You have Cephas. Of course, even the ones who said, well, we follow Christ. <laughs> but Paul, I think they would want to go after him because he's the one that brought the Gospel to them. Straightforward preaching. And he'll be mentioning that later on. Apollos, the eloquence that he had to speak and uh, the philosophical thinking that he probably brought in. Uh, You think of Cephas, Peter, and the authoritarian that he was and his speaking. He had been the apostle that walked with the Lord. And of course, others were saying, well, we're we're of Christ though. Uh, Which is true. That's who we really follow. That's what it's about. But there's all this party spirits, uh, party cries that they had, and they become segregated. So... um, this produces pride, it produces division, and there's a cure to this uh, fleshly um, kind of nature that they were looking at. It's called spirituality. They were carnal. They were in carnality. And he'll address that into chapter 3. In verse 1 he says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. That's how he spoke to them at that time whenever there was another problem that he deals with in chapter 3. So spiritual, being spiritual, that's you know seeking the Lord, seeking His Word, seeking His wisdom. And that's, that's what will always win when we seek the Scripture out. It's always the place to go to when there's a division and such. Now we go to another one, uh, the, the one in Christ. And it says, is Christ divided? We're, we're all one in Christ. Christians are one in Christ. Christ can't be divided, can He? Cannot divide Him up. Believers are never to destroy that unity. Ultimately, they can't because if you're in that body, there's no way that those bricks are going to be taken out or those stones. But um, if they do do that, they contradict what they believe in. Even though they say they, they may believe in something, their life doesn't parallel what they believe. Now Paul, I think, would have been thinking this is violating your very redeemed nature. This goes against everything that uh, the Lord had taught. And if you look throughout the New Testament, I'll just look at uh, in Corinthians, right? Let's just look in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. I have a lot of verses for this. We won't go through them. But how often do you see something like this? But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. When we are in Christ, we're joined with Him. And then you look at in Ephesians, especially like in chapter 3, where you have that temple that's being built and we're being joined together. We are together in that in Christ. And so there is the, the oneness of that. Oh, you can look through Romans you can look through Ephesians, you can look at John 17, and constantly over and over it talks about that oneness and being in the body. And I think Paul was ashamed of even them thinking of him being one who they're following. Yeah, we're Paul followers. And he didn't want that. Not, not that all, that Paul cult, right? He's a cult leader. They lifted him up in that sense. And then Paul says, you know, I was never crucified for anyone. You can't put me on the level of Christ. You know, I'm just a man. 
he, he himself didn't save anybody. He brought the gospel, but didn't save anybody. He, um, it's, he didn't bring people to himself, did he? He brought people to Christ. Uh, he's saying like, hey, who died for you? I didn't die for you. Right? Is Paul, is what he's saying, your atonement? Of course not. So, so he brings up the fact about him being crucified, and then he brings up the baptism thing. And a lot of people could take a lot of pride. Well, I baptized this many. This is how many people that I baptized this week and last week and throughout the year. This is how many people we baptized. And uh, now all of a sudden it becomes a number thing. And uh, it's like, here's what we have done. You know, and, and now the glory is on man rather than, than God. But the deal with baptism is being identified. You know, it's showing that, that picture. Were, were you devoted to uh, uh, Christ's service? Were you le- paying allegiance to Him when you were baptized? Or, or was it me? Were you baptized in, in Paul's name? Of course not. Baptized in the name of Christ, right? Baptized in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One last part, and it's 14 through 17. And this is where Paul is really getting to. There's a priority here. And it's about preaching the Word of God and, and getting the Gospel out. Uh, he says, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize any except Crispus and Gaius and, oh yeah, Stephanus and his household. I can't think of any others. Uh, you know, he's not trying to keep a, a, a record in the sense of what he has done. If there are any others, I can't even think of them. The idea, though, is that he wants people to realize that he was there to preach the gospel, to bring people to Christ. And you could take a lot of pride in in visually having something done that people could see. Baptism is not his principal department. Teaching actually holds a higher importance. Go ye therefore teaching all nations, right? Preaching, preaching the gospel. And then baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole triune God. But because of the teaching is how they come to Christ. And then keep on teaching. Go preach and baptize, but baptizing is, is not as important as the useful work that, that Paul did. And by the way, when he uh, mentions um, Crispus here, for instance, he had been the synagogue leader in Corinth. The synagogue leader in Corinth. That's the Jewish leader who had become a Christian. Paul had led him to Christ. He was converted under Paul's teaching. He said, yeah, I, I baptized him. Well, what about the, uh, uh, the other guy, Gaius? You'll find him listed in Romans 16.23, for instance. And he's a host. Uh, a host of the church. So he played an important role. And, uh, Paul just saying, you know those guys, okay, I, I did do that. He's not saying baptism is a bad thing, but this is not the major thing here. Uh, it's preaching the gospel. Uh, he was not meant to uh, ceremonialize things, but to evangelize. And he was to preach it far and wide, and as far as God would let him go out there and preach that gospel, that's what he wanted to do. He was not ashamed of the gospel, right? Romans 1, 16 and 17. It was the wisdom and the power. It's the power of God to these Corinthians. So he says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ 
should be made of no effect. It goes back to the cross. So it's not just his eloquence. I'm sure Paul could speak very eloquent, but he's not trying to draw people because he has great stories to tell and uh, neat jokes and uh, smooth ways of bringing out what he believes, but he brings forth the gospel in its power, in its very purity, in its wisdom. And so Christ crucified is the very focus of what he's speaking about. And that'll get into the next text where we'll deal with that next week where it talks about the message of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the very power of God, isn't it? And so that's what he is really emphasizing in this this whole aspect here. Christ crucified is the very fountain of all of our hopes. Everything is, is focused on him. And the message that we have and that Paul had, is that people needed to be reconciled to God. That's really what it is. They are at war with God, and they need to be reconciled. We are ambassadors. This comes out of 2 Corinthians 5, if I'm not mistaken. We are ambassadors representing our Lord to a lost world who do not like God, hate God, they're enemies, they're sinners, and he's saying there can be peace. You can have peace with God, and here's how. There's a Redeemer, right? He'll redeem you from your sin. By Christ's death, they can live. Finish off with verse 23 and 24. This is kind of where we're heading into it. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. See what Christ did? And to the Gentiles, foolishness. Still is today. Same story. Verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Don't you like that? And that's what Paul knew that he was to be preaching. The cross of Christ. It conquered the very strongholds of evil. And he knew what power could do. As we each have the right priority in our lives, preaching the gospel, living the gospel, we'll be determined to serve the Lord in truth and in unity, putting those two together. And we won't want to live in carnality and confusion. We don't want to have dissension and, and division because then all that does is it just confuses the, the church, it confuses the world, and it uh, doesn't bring glory to God. So what we want to do is strive for that, continue to strive for the unity of the faith. What a beauty it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. And we know that the whole world is in confusion. and There is a strife worldwide. So many different thoughts and beliefs. In our own country, there is a division that is marking it very clearly. And uh, I'm sure that we'll probably see that division even more as time goes on. And we pray that we just stay faithful uh, to Your Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And uh, may we give glory to You throughout the rest of this worship. In Jesus' name, Amen.